Hello and welcome to Project Between, a podcast about third culture kids and their experiences growing up between many cultures. I'm your host Hannah and today my guest is a filmmaker who became one of the most beloved faces of Oscar season when she interpreted for director Bong Joon-ho and the Parasite team back in 2019 and 2020. Uh, I subsequently became a huge fan and have followed her every move since. Oh my god. Very stalkerish of me, <laughs> rewatching her interviews on TV and YouTube programs, reading her very eloquent words in magazines and books. Uh, but as you know, it's hard to track her down on, t- on the internet because um, yeah. she's not on social media much and there's very little known about her yeah, on Google, anywhere else. <laughs> so it was yeah, hard to track her down. And uh, she's been on my interviewee wish list for some time. And I'm so happy that my quest to <laughs> uncover the inner workings of TCKs led me straight to you. So uh, welcome to the show, Sharon. Thank you so much for having me here. <laughs> I'm so nervous. I don't know pleasure. why I'm so like jittery right now. I actually wish we were filming this episode <laughs> because, um, yeah, I wish our, our listeners could see how nervous I am. Yeah. And like to like see you in the flesh uh, uh-huh. because, yeah, as you were just saying, I've, you know, watched you on countless oh YouTube videos <laughs> and there are a few uh, videos that I revisit on YouTube that sort of make mm-hmm. me tear up, that uh, make me feel like a sense of pride and mm-hmm. make me makes me patriotic for some reason. <laughs> uh, one of them is um, yeah, kukbong exactly. Yeah, one yeah. of them is Kimiona skating uh-huh. for the gold medal. Yeah, and then a recent favorite is when uh, director Bong Joon Ho won the best director award. Yeah, and obviously you are totally, on stage yeah. with him. And yeah, that, yeah. that moment always makes me really tearful. So. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that you say best director and not best picture, mm. because that was honestly the most surprising and most touching moment for me, too. Um, because I remember it's like a very long campaign that takes you to the Oscars. And by the time you get there, you have like a general sense of what your chances are for each category. And, like, obviously winning Best Picture, like, no one really, like, predicted or expected. Like, I think for Best Picture, no one really knew what to think. But for Best Director, I kind of thought that someone else was going to win Mm. some other film because that's what had been happening for most of, like, the Best Director categories in that season. But when his name was called out, or like before his name was called out, I was not getting ready to go up on stage. I was oh. just kind of like relaxed a little bit, like kind of expecting to for someone else to win um, and just to like watch the ceremony. And then I just like jumped up and had to run because I was because like for the other categories, I kind of went to the aisle so that I can I'm ready to go up on stage but for that category I I just stayed in my seat because I thought we wouldn't win (laughs) right right um yeah yeah I I love that moment I loved his speech it is a great moment yeah and I loved how he sort of paid tribute to all of his heroes yeah that was such that was such a great moment because it felt like everyone was just celebrating him and also like Martin Scorsese and just like Hollywood cinema Mm. that whole tradition. Right, yeah. right. And so 
Yeah, I think I'm going to say this multiple times during this interview, but it is very surreal to have you here with me. And uh, I, I'm really happy that you're a third culture kid because I don't know yeah. how I would have yeah found you otherwise. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I was telling Sharon just before we started that I was introduced to her through Eunice, who was a guest on, I think, episode two. Yeah, episode two. Yeah, right? yeah. when uh, everything was really new uh-huh. and... Um, Things hadn't quite been set up properly yet, but um, you directed her music video. Yeah, it was just like a really fun project. I was um, I was in Berlin at the time, and the friend that first introduced me to Eunice, um, we were just texting, and she was like, oh, Eunice is like putting out a single, and I think it would be great for you to kind of like talk to her about potentially doing a video. And, and at the time, I really wanted to work with film, like do something with film. Um, And then when I heard her music, I kind of felt like it was the perfect opportunity to shoot something on film with her music. Um, And it was just like a really organic project. We just kind of like talked every week, brainstorming, coming up with ideas and sharing references. And just like the theme of her, theme of that song, Pure, like it's about purification. It's about like, sort of this process of letting go and the song feels very much like a prayer and I was kind of very into those themes at the time and so yeah it was just it was really fun um it felt like a really great project with friends like the people who ended up working on it were just like random friends of friends twitter friends of twitter friends (laughs) (laughs) yeah it was great yeah, yeah, and I, I remember Eunice telling me about um, the inspiration behind the mm-hmm. music video, and uh, she said that you had referenced maybe like a few directors, and she was talking about a beach with mirrors, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, is it maybe like is it Agnes Varda because I love mm, yeah, yeah 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 her work, and yeah. uh, when I finally was able to watch the music video, it was reminiscent of. Um, a lot of her uh, films. Yeah. Mm. I mean, she's definitely, she was definitely on, like, the list. But for the beach part, my main reference was this film called um, Eternity and a Day. Mm -hmm. Um, It's by Theo Angelopoulos. He's, like, a Greek director. Okay. Um, And it's a film with Bruno Gantz. It's one of my it's it's a really great film. Um, Yeah, so that, that was one of the references, Um, But for me, the bigger reference was definitely, like, the candle TV, Mm. the Peng Namjoon piece. Mm. Um, That's just, like, it's just one of my most favorite things to exist in the world, like, that art piece. Um, Never gets old. No, it never gets old. And it's it's really, it's such a quiet piece. And there's nothing fancy about it. It's literally just a candle in an old analog TV. Mm. Uh, But I just remember, like, standing in front of it. and kind of feeling, kind of sensing how, like, the light from this tiny candle was hitting this, like, every single corner of that giant gallery and sort of, you know, realizing, like, the strength of one, like, light source, like, one, this one tiny thing that that is not fancy, that doesn't seem, that doesn't appear, like, super like magnificent or strong or influential but if you kind of let yourself be there be very present with it then you feel like every light particle that's coming out of this tiny thing mm. 
And I just, like, I really like that as a metaphor for sort of, like, art, what artists should do and all those things, yeah. Yeah, yeah, hearing you explain uh, all the meaning behind it, I'm trying to imagine the scenes from the music video. Uh, yeah. For our listeners, you should definitely check it out. <laughs> it's uh, Pure by Mothfly. Yeah. yeah, it's on YouTube and... Yeah, it, it it's it's funny. Uh, doing this podcast has uh, connected me with so many TCKs mm-hmm. um, around the world, but also TCKs living in Korea. Yeah, and there aren't that many of us, uh-huh. so <laughs> <laughs> we're all connected in one way or another. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know how in Korean they say like you know, 그래서 뭐 착하게 살아야 한다. You know, <laughs> you have to be the best version of yourself of course, at all times. You never know. It's exactly. a small world. Exactly. Yeah. So. Yeah, it, there's just, you know, so much to unpack, so much to talk about. And uh, yeah, I mean, in the intro, I mentioned briefly the Oscars, director Pong Joon-ho and all of that. But um, really, I'm here to interview you today as uh, a third culture kid mm-hmm. and also, you know, a filmmaker in your own right. So I'm sure your your fans <laughs> are eager to get to know a little more about mm-hmm. you all of the personal details that i too have struggled to find online <laughs> yeah i've been quite private i do have like a public instagram which i made public quite recently yeah i mean i i have like a twitter account i have an instagram account right they're just like but they're just like personal accounts yeah. you know so yeah. <laughs> if you want to find me, you can. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, but hopefully um, through our TCK questionnaire today, we can get to know a little more about you mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, how you came to be you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, because, yeah, I, I've been interviewing people from all walks of life. And uh, what I'm realizing is, you know, whether you're famous or not, whether, you know, you grew up in Korea or abroad, like everyone's story is so big in its own right. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Every person's life is like a movie. Yeah. But uh, the genre is different, Mm -hmm. obviously, for every Mm -hmm. person. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's a great way to put it. Yeah, Yeah. some people's lives are a little more like, you know, documentary or, you know, maybe it's like a tragedy or a comedy or a rom-com. I don't know. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so we'll figure out what genre oh. <laughs> uh, you've been living. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, let's start with the basic questions, um, yes. which is your name and uh, nationality. Mm-hmm. Now, I know your name. Uh, I've read in a few other interviews. You prefer one name over the other, or now you're sort of comfortable with both. Uh, so, yeah, tell us, please. Yeah, so my, my Korean name is Che Songte, and um, my English name is Sharon Choi. I am a Korean citizen. The whole name thing was really interesting because, you know, everyone who knows me in Korea, from Korea, they call me Songdae. Mm. And all my sort of non-Korean friends who I've gotten to know using English, they call me Sharon. There have never really been a mix of those names. Like, if you call me Songdae, you only call me Songdae. If you only call me Sharon... If you call me Sharon, you only call me Sharon. So no one ever called me like Sungjae or no one called me Sharon. <laughs> but what ended up happening during the Oscars is um, the I think the, the English-speaking press noticed me first just because of how 
um, frequently I was coming across English-speaking press and journalists. Um, and so my name, like my English name, Sharon Choi, started going up on like articles. People started mentioning my name in some of the press for Parasite. Mm. And then the Korean press just like took it as is and and I became like Sharonte. And then so like all the Koreans who got to know me after Parasite or even during, they stall- started they all call me like Sharon. <laughs> and in the beginning I was like, who the hell is Sharon? <laughs> like who is this person? Who is like Sharonte? Like I do not know that person. Mm-hmm. Like and so it was really it was really strange having people call me Sharon and um and another thing about the names is um I mean this is one thing that you know I kind of wanted to talk about today where I I used to think of myself as two different people. Mm. Like there was like the Che Songje and the Sharon Choi, right? And Songje probably probably because of just like how Korean culture is, uh, in my mind like Songje is like my more timid like more quiet self mm. more more introspective um more docile and all of that and then Sharon is like the more outgoing and sporty and energetic person um and there were there was a good period of time or like i depending on which period in my life I was in I would prefer one over the other mm-hmm. like one personality or were one identity over the other um and so in my mind those two names are quite split they never came together they they were, they all, they kind of like belong to two separate worlds mm-hmm. um but then like after parasite they just kept clashing and um I guess uh, Sharon sits somewhere in the middle. I think Sharon is now becoming like the identity that kind of like brings both, mm. both of them together. So mm. it's like the third identity. <laughs> That's like a mix of the two. Right. Um, but even now, like, you know, people I work with in Korea, so a lot of them call me just Sharon because that's kind of what they're used to right. um, thinking of me as. And some people would call me both. Okay. Um, so is it Sharon Si, Sharon Nim kind of thing? Yeah, yeah, like Sharon, Sharon Nim, or just Ah, but Sharon is like things like that, you yeah. know? Because I feel like a lot of um, Korean companies also are using or having their employees use English names right. to avoid the whole hierarchy thing. Mm. And um, so, yeah, I didn't know that, but a lot of my friends in their workplaces just go by an English name. Funny story about that. So um, my Korean name is uh-huh. actually just Hana, uh-huh. Ihana, uh-huh. and uh, at work, I'm called Hananim. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very ho- holy wow. name I wow. have at work. Yeah. <laughs> wow, Hananim. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, I can totally relate to what you mean about having two separate identities yeah. depending on what language you're speaking, uh, what people are calling you. Yeah. When my mom calls me Hanaya, uh-huh. Hanaya is a very specific type of person. Uh-huh. And uh, Hannah, who you know, <laughs> conducts interviews on this podcast, yeah. is also you know a different category, I yeah. think. Uh, but like you, I think over the years, I've uh, managed to 
bridge the gap between those two mm-hmm. identities, mm-hmm. and I'm fairly comfortable being both. Yeah, and I think I've found a middle ground. Yeah, where I can sort of draw the good sides of both. Right. Yeah, I think I'm just starting to go through that. Like bridging the gap process, but even even now, like when I talk with my American friends or when I talk in English, I feel like I'm like, like I'm projecting one kind of persona, and then when I'm speaking Korean or kind of with Koreans, then I'm like another kind of person. Yeah, we'll see. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, am I interviewing today, Sharon or? Sharon or probably Sharon, Sharon because we're talking in English, right? Um, but I think like if you were to talk to me in Korean, it would kind of change the conversation itself, right? Yeah, in an interesting way. Yeah. Right, I can see that. Yeah. So uh, you were born in Korea, right? Yeah, I was born mm. um, and raised in Seoul. Okay. Yeah. Um, but could you walk us through where you were mm-hmm. uh, raised? I I know that. But it was a time in your life, like early on, where you spent some time in the U.S. Yeah. Um, so I was born and raised. Well, I was born in Seoul, and then um, I finished first grade in Korea, and then I moved to the U.S. with my family. We moved to um, like an hour east of L.A., um, and we originally immigrated to L.A. with the intention of staying there for kind of the rest of our lives um and then just due to like my dad's job and career we moved back to korea to seoul after two years so um so after we came back i finished elementary middle and high school in korea and then i went back to la for college finished college there um stayed an extra year or two and then came back to seoul thinking that Um, I wouldn't really go back to L.A. for the foreseeable future just because of visa issues. Like, I just didn't have a work visa, and I know how difficult it is to get one. So um, I kind of gave up on the prospect of living in the U.S. or working with, like, an American company. Or um, Yeah, I was just kind of prepared to be a Korean Korean again. And then just like the whole parasite job came up out of completely out of the blue and then pulled me right back to LA um, for a good, you know, few months. And then the Oscars. And then I came back, um, obviously because of COVID, couldn't really go anywhere. So that was, um, yeah, 2020 to 2022, I was in, or 2020 and 2021, I was in Korea for two years, and that was the longest I'd been in Korea since becoming an adult, Mm. which was really interesting. Um, And then last year, I was mostly in Europe for work. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that's another thing that you and I have in common, Mm -hmm. where, um, you know, we feel like a hybrid. uh, Yeah. But I don't don't really tell myself or anyone else that I'm Korean-American because I'm not. Yeah, I mean, that was, like, one really interesting thing that I realized when I went back to L.A. for college. Um, I mean, just going back, you know, back to sort of when our family first moved to L.A., I was I was only there for two years, you know, Um, and I have. And I think for all intents and purposes, like I shouldn't have kept my English this much. I shouldn't have 
kept like my Americanness so much because it Seriously, was yeah. like very it was like a brief period of time when when I was really little. Um, but I think what happened was as soon as, you know, we went to L.A. or like when we the first year of living in L.A., my brother and I, we didn't go to school. And so we just had so much free time to play around with the kids in our neighborhood. And so really without intentionally like trying really hard to pick up English, we just like picked it up really quickly and really naturally. So um, according to my parents, like, you know, we started speaking English at home after the first six months. Wow. And I remember just like after the first year, my brother and I just kind of stopped speaking Korean at almost completely I think mm. um and and so you know we we were only there for two years but we I kind of became like a full-on American kid after those two years and I really did not want to come back to Korea I remember just like asking my mom if I could stay and telling her that I don't want to leave and all of that partly because um I had a really bad like first grade experience where my te- my homeroom teacher was quite violent. Like when I look back on it now, it's like ridiculous. Like she should have gone to jail or something for the kind of violence that she inflicted on the mm-hmm. like kids. Um, but it was actually pretty common back in the day for teachers to hit kids. Like mm-hmm. even until like high school. I mean, my high school didn't allow it but it was still not illegal for teachers to hit kids um and yeah I just had like really bad memories of that and then like I go to LA and I start school and like the teachers give you hugs Mm -hmm. like they just smile at you they read you books (laughs) um and so I think that made me very quickly just kind of want to be like a person of that culture yeah um and that world I don't know where I was going with this story. There was a, there was a reason I was going back. Um, He's from oh Korean American, sorry. Ah, Korean American. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Mm. Yeah. So um, because I didn't want to come back to Korea, I really and and also just kind kind of coming back to this like education system that I hated so much. I really had a hard time um, being a teenager in Korea and being a student in Korea. Did you go to a regular Korean school? Yeah, like I went to a regular public elementary school and a public middle school. Uniforms, everything. Yeah, the whole, like the the super normal average public school. Um, For high school, I did go to a boarding school and I went to a Weigu, so that was a bit different. Um, But yeah, and also just like with puberty and like going back and forth, so... I mean, it wasn't. A, it was just like once, and then once again. Um, but it it was really hard on me. I think just that, like going back and forth, and also like losing my mother language, fi- like learning a foreign language, that becoming kind of like my native language, and then like having to relearn my native language right. in the span of like two years. I think was really confusing for me, and that mixed with sort of puberty, kind of yeah, made life very confusing and difficult. Um, And so I kind of had this like fantasy during my teenage years that um, where, oh, like once I go back to LA, I'll feel more like more at home. Um, You know, like LA or America kind of became this like symbol of perfection and the ideal place. Mm. 
And I kept asking the question of like, oh, what if we never came back to Korea? Like, I would be so much happier. I would be living like a, like a much better life. Um, and, and I think I kind of expected to find like my community amongst Korean Americans when I went back to LA for college. But like very quickly, I realized that it was actually more difficult for me to hang out with Korean Americans than just like non-Korean um, Americans. Does yeah, I, I know exactly what yeah. you mean. Because, uh, yeah, they're just different. They come from a different culture. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think that the hardest part was sort of, it, I mean, not hard, but the thing that kind of got in the way was, you know, if I was talking to just like a regular white American who knows nothing about Korean culture, like, like it's easier to come from completely different places than um, – then with Korean Americans, I felt very often like we're talking about the same thing, but with like completely different perspectives. Right. Like we're, we're talking about kimchi, but like they put completely different meanings on kimchi than I would. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so I just realized like it was harder for me to kind of um, sympathize with them. Um, because we would be talking about the same thing with completely different attachments and ideas behind it. Um, and I think it's also, yeah. as a Korean-American, you grow up as a minority in yeah. America. And I think that comes with a whole lot of problems yeah. and, you know, things that you internalize. Yeah, I mean, it's just such a different experience of life. I, yeah. I really feel that way. Um, and and because I've never really gone through that. I mean, when I was living in LA, I was just too young to recognize any of that. I don't really, I've never really thought about, thought a lot about being Korean or being Asian. It is not really, it's not really a big thing for me. Mm -hmm. It's just what it is, what is. Um, But obviously when you're like um, an Asian American, you, you, you're, you grow up thinking so much about it. Um, and I also remember having a lot of Korean American friends who kind of had fantasies over living in Korea, like the way that I had fantasies over living in LA. Oh, interesting. Yeah, um, because especially friends who had kind of gone through, um, you know, kind of had a hard time with living in America as a minority. To them, you know, a lot of them would talk about how once they go. Once they like go to Seoul and once they go to Korea, they'll finally li- live amongst people like them. Right. Um, and then, kind of like what my college journey was like, they, um, you know, would also kind of go through that process of having that fantasy shattered. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I think it works in both directions. A Korean American coming to Korea expecting certain things. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And then, you know, that's not being the reality. Yeah. And then for people like us going to America. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay. It's, this like, is also not home. Yeah, I know. Like, <laughs> where are my people at? Yeah. <laughs> they don't exist. And I I mean, I didn't quite fit in the Yuhaksing box either. Uh-huh. Um, like, there were kids from Wego at my school. Right. And then there were Korean Americans. Yeah. And then there were people like me yeah who were just sort of i don't know hybrids yeah and i think i ended up hanging out with the other hybrid kids or 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 international kids i guess uh yeah yeah and i mean in college like i never really i i don't think i really found 
like my group group because I also ha- didn't really hang out with the Yuxin kids either because I was in the film school and I was the only Korean person um, in the film program at the time. Oh. And so my friends ended up just becoming like a random bunch of film art kids. Um, it's like yeah. my dream. <laughs> <laughs> ah. yeah. Okay. Well, if we go back to the, the language question, mm-hmm. uh, you said that you forgot your mother tongue, came back to Korea, had to relearn it. Mm-hmm. Um, so so w- what language did you speak with your parents and with your brother throughout with, that journey? Throughout... Even now, I speak in. Well, I mean, I think with my brother, we speak both. Um, we would kind of switch back and forth from English to Korean, vice versa, depending on what we're talking about, how we're feeling, and also like where we are spending most of our time um, in that particular moment. Um, with my parents, so my dad speaks fluent English. Um, my mom, she understands a lot, um, but th- she doesn't speak that much. I think when we were little, we um, I, I, I do remember speaking English until I was about like seventh grade at home, like sixth, seventh grade. Oh, really? Even after you came back? Yeah, to even Korea. after I came back. I think I like resisted speaking Korean because wow. I just like did not like being in Korea. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, and then like you know, once I started, so you'd be like, of, "Hey, Oma, like, what's for dinner?" Kind of thing. Kind of, yeah, I think so. I, I mean, for sure, until like fifth grade, I was speaking more English at home, and then you know, as I got older, as I started, you know, sort of getting more invested in friendships, I started speaking Korean more. Um, but yeah, I remember at one point, like during eighth grade, just kind of realizing, oh, I guess I don't really speak English at home very much. I remember having that thought in eighth grade. So I'm assuming that before then I spoke mostly English. Oh, okay. And also, like, our parents encouraged my brother and I to speak English at home um, just so we wouldn't forget. Yeah, we wouldn't forget it. Okay. Yeah. Huh. So you have um, young Sharon to thank for, you know, <laughs> keeping all of those, you know, English yeah, yeah. vocabulary words intact. Yeah. And my mom forcing me to, you know. Right. So uh, what languages do you speak now? English, Korean, obviously. That's it. English and Korean. Okay. Yeah. I did study French for three years, but like... I studied French yeah. too. Where yeah. did it go? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Nowhere. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that's the thing about... Annoying thing about languages. Uh, you don't use it. It goes... Yeah, exactly. And I think for me, even though I tell myself and others that I'm most comfortable speaking in English... Mm-hmm. Because I've lived in Korea for so long now, mm-hmm. there are days when I feel like I speak no languages. Yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, like, what am I trying to say? And yeah. Like, like all of the wires are sort of tangled. Yeah, I think that's like a th- <laughs> that's like a daily thing for me, kind of being really lost in the two languages. Like right now, I feel okay speaking English because I was in Europe last year mostly speaking in English. So my brain is kind of like sort of in that English speaking mode. And, um, you know, I came back like on December 31st. So it's only been like a month and a half now or two months since I've kind of um, started being in Korea again. And the first month I really struggled with my Korean. Um, Like I would 
I would be talking with friends and I just like I wouldn't be able to speak. Um, But I think I've kind of gone through that, like experienced that my whole life since coming back to Korea. I um, I just have like a hard I when I was little, I really wanted to be a writer. But at one point I realized, oh, I probably can't be a writer because I just have a really hard time with languages now like speaking, like finding the right words, getting the prepositions right, like getting getting the grammar right. Also with Korean, you know how like in Korean the most complicated thing is like how you end a sentence? Mm-hmm. I developed the habit of like 문장을 흐리게 끝내는 거. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like even now, right? Like I can't, what I just said, 문장 흐리게 끝내는 거, I couldn't think of it in English, so I have to say it in Korean. Yeah. And I just go through that all the time. Like unless I'm able to speak in both languages at the same time. So unless I'm speaking with other Korean English bilinguals, I just feel extremely uncomfortable mm. talking. Um, and I think that's why I've kind of like avoided interviews. <laughs> really? <laughs> um, and I like don't, want to be a writer anymore is because that whole um like living with that frustration with language has made me distrust distrust language in that sense and I think that's why I've I I kind of became obsessed with movies like with visual language um because even now like as I'm talking to you I feel like I can't really express everything that I want to express through words really it doesn't yeah. come across that way though i'm struggling <laughs> like the only like i always say that the reason i can interpret is because like i've been interpreting for myself mm. my whole life mm-hmm. you know um yeah huh so uh, let me ask you two of my favorite questions yeah. which is uh what language then do you mm-hmm. dream in and yeah. swear in i think both yeah yeah for sure both it really, I think it really depends on like where I am and who I'm spending most of my time with. For example, like if, um, oh, I don't want to go into boyfriends, but <laughs> like if I'm seeing like an American boyfriend, mm. then my major, and like obviously, like I'm spending most of my time with this person and communicating the most with this person, then my brain goes into English mode. So like I would swear more often in English, I would dream more often in English, and random thoughts would pop up more in English. But if I'm like, you know, mostly with my Korean friends, um, living in Korea with my parents, then yeah, like my brain sort of reverts back to the Korean mode. Yeah, and no, I, I'm the same way. Yeah, um, but it's quite random, you know. It it's yeah, it's always really random. Yeah, uh, there was a period in my life where uh, all of my uh, friends who were living in Korea mm-hmm. left for mm. grad school to move back to America for work, etc. And so I was left here with very few friends left who spoke English, mm. and I was uh, going to a Korean company. Mm-hmm and spending most of my time with Korean people. And one night I was getting ready for bed and I wondered, like, do I even speak English anymore? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I have to speak to myself in English (laughs) because I have no one to speak to. Uh Uh Uh, But yeah, I'm I'm exactly the same way. And I think I'm always um, trying to like parrot other people's accents, um, their like mannerisms and all of this. I think it's 
like a coping mechanism I learned uh-huh. as a kid growing up, moving all over the place. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, like this accent that I have now, right. which is primarily American, I think, now, even <laughs> when I listen back to it, it can change a lot depending uh-huh. on who I'm speaking to. Yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, yeah sure. language sort of works in the same way for me where um, my brain makes room for uh-huh. whatever is most dominant right. in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. You, the accent part is really interesting. So did you have like a much stronger South African accent? Yeah. So when I moved there, uh, my parents put me in a local South African school. Uh-huh. And uh, I was at a local school for maybe like eight nine years and so it was a thick South African uh-huh. accent uh, and then what happened was in high school I moved schools right. and I was moved into the American system uh-huh. and I was this new Asian girl with a South African accent <laughs> and they were like what are you trying to say do you mean car and I'd be like yeah car <laughs> <laughs> like where are all oh. of your R's <laughs> I don't understand uh-huh, you. Uh-huh. And I'd be like, oh, this is water. And they'd be like, oh, water. You know, <laughs> they'd like mock me every step right, of the way. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. eventually I sort of, you know, try to blend in. And oh. um, Americans have that effect on you, I find. Yeah, no, I yeah. agree. I don't I think I, like any like British person or any other person I've yeah. met has pointed out flaws or right. mistakes in yeah. like pronunciation or accent. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, Americans proud as they are. Yeah. Um, I think it's also because American culture is so mainstream. Yeah. Yeah. They're, I don't know, entitled to point those things out. Uh, maybe, you know, we can move on to the identity question. Yeah. Um, because I think, you know, whether we like it or not, America has had a huge influence on shaping our identities. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. So what percentage of your identity yeah. would you attribute to each of the places you've lived? You know, this this question is so hard. I've been thinking about this question for, like, the whole week, honestly, and, like, putting various numbers. But I still don't I still don't have a set of numbers that I'm happy with. So I don't know if I want to give numbers, but I think, like, a majority of my identity for sure is Korean. I think um, it's really out of weird circumstances that I don't consider myself, like, 80% Korean. I think my percentage would be in the range, like between like fifty and like seventy, like somewhere between that. Um, because like you know, like my parents, they're Korean, Korean. My dad and my mom, um, you know, they did live in the states for a couple of years before I was born, but still, you know, they're pretty like Korean. Um, and I grew up mostly in Korea. Um, I think the reason why the Korean percentage isn't so high is because I resisted Koreanness so much growing up. Not because of anything like inherent about Korean culture, just because like I really was not happy with my day to day life being a student in Korea. Like the whole like hagwon, like school, hagwon home, school hagwon home, like the whole that whole thing. I really, really did not like, um, and. And so there was a good period during my teenage years where I resisted, like, writing in Korean. I refused to write um, Korean in my journal, for example. And I did not watch any Korean TV or whatever. Um, And it's only quite recently where I'm trying to get 
I'm trying to like study Korean more. Like I want to learn Korean grammar again. And I also realize that like with a lot of Western philosophers, when I hear their name, I don't I might not know like exactly what their philosophy was about, but I can kind of put them in a general category and kind of like figure out the general lineage of Western philosophers. But with Korean philosophers or Korean like ideology, like traditional thought, I have no idea. Like like we talk about yugyo so much, right? About how it's like the like the fundamental problem of Korean culture and the way how severe Korean hierarchy is and, like, sexism can be. But do I really know what Yugyo is? Like, I recently realized that I don't really know much about Yugyo. Mm, when, I, when I talk, when, like, everyone mentions Yugyo as being, like, the foundation of Korean thought, I don't know what it is. Um, and that was just, like, realizing that was, like, a big thing for me. I was like, oh, gosh, I really don't know anything about being Korean, um, or like Korea, you know? So yeah, that's like one new big interest for me, like just kind of studying Korea a little more and, um, just reading more about Korean stuff and learning about Korean crafts. But yeah, so Korea, like Korean is definitely the majority of what constitutes my identity. I, I would say like maybe 30 or 30 percent, 40 percent would be California Mm -hmm. and not America. Because I think if the past decade has taught me anything is that I don't know anything about America either. (laughs) What I thought of as America was actually just like the bicoastal liberal demographic, you know, (laughs) Um, like going to school in L.A., going to college there. Yeah, I assumed certain things about how America, what America is and what it stands for, blah, blah, blah. And it's like none of that was true. Yeah. I remember my idea of what America was was shattered when Trump was elected. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. none of my friends, yeah. no one in my social network feeds yeah. could have yeah. expected that. Like before that election, going up, to, going up to that election, I was listening to so many podcasts about the election and mm. – really just kind of keeping up with all the coverage that was coming out about the election. And they were all completely wrong. Yeah. Right? They were all so, so wrong. And um, so after that, I, like, yeah, I realized that I was living in, like, a really tiny bubble. Mm. I mean, it's the same anywhere, right? I'm also living in a very tiny bubble in Korea, too. But I think just due to how big America is... And the fact that it, it is a very, like, state-oriented political system, the the gap is just, I think, a lot wider than what it's like in Korea. So, um, yeah, like, definitely number two would be California. California. Um, so it's like a, a piece of your heart is, is there. Yes, yes. And so I still do consider Los Angeles to be, like, the best place to live ever. Okay. Yeah, just the sun I think changes you mm-hmm. like in the beginning of living in LA I hated it I was like why is it so sunny I just want to be miserable and gloomy just can <laughs> you can you just let me feel depressed the sun was just like too much and then I think by the third year and that's when I started driving that's when I was like oh, okay this is why everyone just raves about LA um 
Yeah, it's just like the weather kind of changes you. It makes you more relaxed, makes you a happier person. <laughs> was it the car or that like you were in like a happier place that made you change your mind? Um, I think it was the car. <laughs> I think it was the car that made me a happier person. Uh. And also just like the freedom that comes with getting a, having a car mm-hmm. and being able to go to the beach, go to the mountains, the desert so easily. Like so many, yeah, it's just like everything is close by. Um, and the culture, like the great thing about LA is there's so many great pockets, different pockets that are quite like separate from each other. So you don't really know that the pocket exists until you discover it. But once you do, it's like a whole like different community there. Um, so much like great food, different cultures, um, different languages. Mm-hmm. So number two is California, mostly LA, I guess. And I think the third really is the internet. Mm. So when I think about like how I was able to keep up with American culture and also like keep my English, it's really because of the internet. That's how I started, you know, get reading about films, like picking, um, like learning about different music, and just yeah, like while resisting everything Korean, all of my input came from the internet. Huh. Yeah. So one of my questions is, um, mm-hmm. name a place that informed your taste in the arts. Mm-hmm. And so I guess, well, California is probably in there, but yeah. the internet. I think like it's literally the internet is like 90%. Yeah. The internet is definitely 90%. Um, because sort of like most of my taste was, I think, determined when I was a teenager. Because I think that's when I that's when I really just um, didn't have a life. <laughs> All I did was like watch movies and listen to music, and everything that I came across at the time was through like random forums, random sites. Like Tumblr was a huge, huge thing for me. I think really Tumblr was kind of how I got to learn about all of these like different types of films and yeah I think when we were growing up you you had to try harder to find things you loved Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. like you had to maybe physically go to rent a movie right to like listen to music yeah I was such a pirate back in the day (laughs) oh my god yeah yeah totally um there's no streaming so you have to look for it actively and um I don't know like I used to be quite conflicted about the fact that I pirated all the movies that I watched as a teenager. But now I'm just like, well, how else was I supposed to watch anything? Exactly. Like, I went to a boarding school, and it was kind of in the middle of the mountains. So it wasn't like I had a local library to go to. And even if I did, it wasn't like they were going to have all these, like, films that I could rent. And how was I supposed to watch them as well? My literally my only option was to go on the internet and download torrents. Exactly, and thank goodness yeah. for torrents. Yeah, and like you could also torrent like subtitles for movies. Totally, totally. Yeah. yeah, it's like I don't know. I didn't. I didn't grow up with a local cinematheque. You know that played Tarkovsky movies. Like, how was I supposed to find all of these things? Yeah. So like piracy sites, definitely a huge influence on my days. <laughs> 
Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think it's the case for all of us. I think for yeah. our generation, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I think for people who are younger, internet is probably their entire world in some mm-hmm. cases. Because mm-hmm. I, I heard uh, kids nowadays, they ask their parents, like, uh, it was a question about how you access the internet when you didn't have a phone or like like oh, for them right, right, right. yeah the internet was always there right so when their parents talk about like days when there were no smartphones or yeah. like computers yeah they ask them how did you access the internet right, right. uh my god that's such a huge difference in like view. perception yeah <laughs> wow. um okay oh i guess i skipped over the comfort food question do you have oh, a go-to yeah. comfort food Yes, it is tteokguk. Oh. Yeah, tteokguk and kimchi bokkeumbap. Mm. Those are the two Korean ones. And then the one non-Korean one is pizza. I think specifically like Costco pizza. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the, the the big cheesy kind. Yeah, yeah. The the big like, yeah, American Costco pizza. Um, I think I'm slowly like graduating the Costco part and going into like the sourdough Ooh. oven part. <laughs> Um, but yeah, and also chocolate ice cream. Yeah, mm. it's like normal. Those are great <laughs> choices. Um, okay, and out of all of the places you've lived, pick a favorite city. Is it LA? <sighs> um, well, I've only really lived in Seoul and LA. I did live in um, London last year for work, but. I was really mostly just too busy to experience the city. My favorite city that I've kind of lived in so far would be Berlin. But it might also be just because, like, I didn't have to work there. I was kind of still, like, a visitor there. Um, So it's really, like, only Seoul or L.A. I Yeah, I think it would be L.A. But but I also don't know if I want to live there. Uh, yeah. Well, as a filmmaker, do you have a favorite city or like a city that you hope to live in someday? As a filmmaker, that would honestly, I think it would have to be New York, mm-hmm. like as a filmmaker, but I would never live in New York. So expensive. Yeah, so expensive. And also, I think I'm just kind of done with city life in general. Honestly, I just like want to move to like the middle of nowhere. I have that fantasy, too. Yeah. I've sort of grown out of the, oh, I want to live in New York phase. Yeah. Just want more space. Yeah, I want more, I want, like, just, I just want peace and quiet now. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think now when I visit different cities, I'm just like, okay, it's great, but it's just, like, another city. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, like, you go to great restaurants, all these, like, cultural institutions, museums, and, oh, okay, it's, like, another great restaurant another great museum um i think these days like as i'm getting older for sure i just appreciate nature much more and i feel more comfortable just not being around people (laughs) (laughs) okay uh we have a few questions remaining uh in the tck question and they're about being a TCK. So I was yeah. curious, uh, when did you first hear the term third culture kid and realize you were one? Well, 
When Eunice asked, first asked me about, you know, if I'd be interested in doing this podcast, she asked me if I thought of myself as a TCK, and I actually said no. Oh. Um, because I think I kind of misunderstood what TCK is, because I learned that term quite recently, actually, like maybe like a couple years ago when a friend of mine told me about it, and she like wrote a book on it, too. And when I – so like until – like literally a week ago when I Googled third culture kid, I always associated third culture kid with international school kids. Mm-hmm. As in like they, um, their parents are from one country. They speak English, but they live in another non-English country. Uh, I see. Yeah. So that's what I thought third culture kid was. And um, my identity just felt like much in a way much simpler and in a way much more complicated than that, as in um, when someone asks me, like, oh, do you think, do you consider yourself Korean, Korean, Korean-American? I always, like, the the sort of answer that I'm now resorting to is a very westernized Korean. That's, like, the best way I can describe Mm -hmm. myself. Mm -hmm. I feel quite stable in my Korean identity. I don't question it. I have never thought of myself as an American or as something that's not Korean. The only problem I had was hating that, like hating Korea. Um, and and so it's almost like my battle and sort of my like or m- my journey with my identity has just kind of been about self-acceptance mm-hmm. more than anything else. Um so I guess, like, according to the definition of a TCK, like, I am a TCK, as in I, f- I do feel quite in between of between, like, Korean and non-Korean. Like, I know that I'm, I will never be, like, a Korean-Korean or something else. But, yeah, I just... Uh, Probably because of, like, how I associated TCKs with, like, international school kids. I never really thought of myself one as one. And I still have a hard time sort of, like, other than what I just said about, like, a westernized Korean, like, putting, like, like a term on my identity. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I work with a fairly loose definition mm-hmm. as well. Right. Because I've also interviewed... Uh, children of immigrants right. who never moved back to yeah. their home country yeah. and yet were raised very much immersed in yeah. their parents' culture. Yeah, uh, I've also uh, interviewed people who are fully American, mm-hmm. but uh, their parents decided to send them to French school mm-hmm. in Boston. Right, And so they grew up with a very right. French sensibility. Yeah, And I think that can shift how you perceive the world, how you view yourself yeah. in American totally. culture. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I've I'm very inclusive <laughs> <laughs> on this show. Yeah. No, I think that's what's been so great about your show is it's mm-hmm. not just like one type of hybrid. It's like you realize that in that in between category is just like everything can yeah. be in there. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm just being greedy, really. <laughs> but, <laughs> I think it, but I think it's so interesting. Yeah. Um, because everyone has a different 
experience. Mm -hmm. You know, whether you're shy, whether you're totally extroverted, all of the moving, switching countries, that has an effect on you. Um, yeah. And, you know, sometimes in adulthood, it can hit you. Oh, I mean, that's, later on. That's definitely been the case for me where, like, um, until I did Parasite, I really didn't think of my in-betweenness that much. It wasn't something that I dwelled on very much. And I also always just thought, oh, yeah, it's great that I'm bilingual. And it's yeah, like, you know, I've always been frustrated with languages. But in terms of like, I never really thought of how that influenced my identity and sort of my struggle with identity. I always thought of, you know, my personal struggles with identity as just something else, like something maybe like more related to mental illness or more uh, with like being a woman and things like that. But I think recently what I'm realizing is that whole experience of like losing my mother tongue and then relearning it and then moving to LA and then moving back when I didn't want to and then kind of having a hard time because of it. Like that is kind of like the foundation of my personality mm -hmm. and sort of every issue I have with everything, like the way I build relationships, the way I um, love people, the way I hurt people, um, why I want to be an artist, why I want to create, why I'm into film, like all of it comes kind of from that time. Mm. And I think what interpreting did for me is, you know, when, like, your brain can only handle so much. So there definitely comes a point when you're interpreting, like, if you've interpreted for a number of hours consecutively, for me, what happens is I start to kind of like get like I, I feel my like I feel my brain getting tired. Mm -hmm. And so I don't perform as well. And that brings on like a lot of anxiety um, and anxiety plus interpreting for me brings back all the memories of like that immigration trauma. trauma. Like I was so surprised at how many memories came back to me. Like, that combination of, like, kind of being in two different languages, like, being, going back and forth between two languages and all these negative emotions just, like, totally brought me back to that time period. And it was only, yeah, after I started interpreting where I realized, like, man, like, that was traumatic. <laughs> like, that was hard. Yeah, I mean, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Moving and somewhere I, and, like, you not being able to speak the language. Yeah, and mm. I just, like, com did not think about that time that way because it felt like um, I had adapted so easily and so quickly. I thought it was, like, very effortless. And now I'm just – I just – I'm, like, I'm realizing that, oh, I, I was just surviving, you know? Um, and you were a kid. Yeah, and I was mm. a kid. Um, so yeah, like it's it's been really interesting kind of thinking about that time again and thinking about the consequences and how much influence that part had on who I am and how I'm living life right now. Mm. Yeah. So I think you touched upon a lot of like the hardships that come with being mm -hmm. a third culture kid. Mm -hmm. um, is there something you 
love about being a third culture kid? <laughs> Bilingualism. I mean, for like one? everything that I like about myself comes from being a third culture kid, right? right? Like, um, I if I weren't bilingual, I obviously would not have had the amazing opportunities to like meet people that I respect and love and work with them. Um, but really just before that, I think bilingual really like opens up your world, right? It, it, it expands your worldview and it also makes you realize that like all the rules of this society is it's all relative. Like none of it is absolute. Mm. Like these rules do not exist everywhere else. Um, and so it kind of gives you like this insider and outsider perspective. And I think ultimately what that does, it expands possibilities. I feel like being bilingual and and consequently having like feeling like I have access to a bigger world has made me feel like so many things are possible. Mm. Like even if they're not right, like I'm not going to like climb Mount Everest, you know, I'm not. But like it's possible. You could. I could. <laughs> and uh, I think, um, yeah, speaking English and the amount of information you have access to because of it just like widens um, possibilities. And for me, that's always like the best thing about anything, like expanding possibilities. Mm. Um, yeah, so like having just um, a wider perspective on things, knowing that things are not absolute, knowing that there's alternatives to everything um, has, I think, made me be more open-minded as well, be more accepting. Mm. Um, yeah. Yes to all of that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, there's just one last question remaining uh, on the TCK questionnaire, and it is, where is home for you uh, um I don't know I I really don't know because um whenever I spend like an extended period of time abroad I always tell myself oh this is the last time like I am not um leaving Korea again it's so hard I miss Korean food like as I'm getting older I'm realizing, like, I just crave Korean food much more. Um, like, I'm, like, one of those old Koreans that I used to make fun of all the time for, like, you know, going to Korean restaurants. Abroad. Abroad. I was like, why would you do that? But now I'm, like, that person. <laughs> I'm, like, looking for Korean restaurants everywhere I go. Um, and also just as I'm getting older, being away from my family gets harder and harder. Um and I definitely, like, feel that urge to settle and live a more stable life because I think sort of my job, my career until now has been very unstable. Um, but then I come back to Korea and I was like, oh, okay, how do I leave again? Leave. Like, what is going to t take me abroad again? <laughs> how do I leave? Um, and I think right now the way I'm understanding it is I'm just like still stuck in the same circuit of wanting to leave Korea because that's kind of, you know, when I was a teenager, the only thing I wanted was to leave Korea. And now I know that that was never about Korea. It was just about like my struggle, my inter in inner struggle with just myself. Um, but because I'm so 
used to thinking that way. And I'm still, I still have the habit of like finding every, finding like the most negative things about Korea. I still kind of like automatically do that. And um, so, so I, I don't know. Um, I think ultimately, I don't know. <laughs> I was like, I was just about to say, I think ultimately I would want to like settle down in Korea and really call this place my home. But I've said this so many times and I've always like gone against my word. <laughs> um, so that's okay. Yeah. For now, I think like I'm fine with um, not knowing where home is. But one new goal that I've sort of kind of I became obsessed with is I'm building my own house. Ooh. Like I don't know which country it's going to be, but I'm obsessed with kind of like planning out a space for myself, um, completely tailoring it to like what I want in a home, like in a physical structure and building an architecture. Um, so I think I'm inching closer to kind of wanting a home now, but um, which country that will be, I don't know. Yeah, no, me too. I think as I get older, I, I plan my house too. Yeah. And um, it doesn't matter what country yeah. it's in, but yeah. I think I'd really like a desk that looks into a forest. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like an ocean. Yeah. You know, I'm like very specific about yeah. certain spaces in this house. Oh, my God, totally. Uh, where I will build it, uh -huh. I have no clue. So for you, too, you don't feel like Korea is your home? Um, it's, it's a mixed bag of emotions now for me. Yeah. Just because I've lived here for so long. Yeah. Uh, but I've also struggled with the same things you mentioned where I hated Korea once upon a time. Um, I've grown to love it mm -hmm. more now, but there is a part of me that's always wanting to leave yeah. and escape. Yeah. And I don't know why yeah. that's there. Yeah. But yeah, just at every opportunity, I'm like, where can I go? Yeah. And I think maybe it's a symptom of <laughs> being a TCK um, yeah. or just knowing that there are other opportunities out there. Right. And right. if you look that at Korea too. on a map, it is really tiny. And, you know, I'd like to explore other yeah. places yeah. and other people and yeah. other cultures. So, yeah, I mean, I guess we'll see for the both of us <laughs> where we end up building yeah. our ideal houses. Yeah. Yeah, I th I think I just like it's it's really not about Korea. It's really just more about the idea of home, I think that I have a problem I have issues with. And I think this is quite like a TCK thing where home was just not like a very um stable thing for me. It, I I you know, I had like a stable home. You know, my family's great, but for many reasons, I just wanted to escape home so much growing up. Probably because of, like, you know, that immigration trauma and just, like, that totally messing up with how I felt about home mm. as a concept. Um, and so just, like, being um, – finding, like, peace with the idea of home, I think – 
is kind of the the journey that I'm on now. Um, and I think once that's settled, like where that home is, is going to be like a pretty natural process because I feel like that's also something that you can't choose. No. Like it's just, I feel like I'm, I just have to wait for something to finally feel like home and like find my place that way. I definitely had a period of where I just like wanted to decide. I wanted to know what my like where my home was and where my identity was like rooted in. Is it Korea? Is it America? It's like, ah, like where is it? Um but now I've kind of accepted the fact that like it's never going to be like one or the other. Mm. It's you have always to make a choice. Yeah. Mm. Or well I think, like, for me, I'm almost, like, refusing to make that choice Mm. because I feel like every time I've made a choice, like, the first time I really moved back to Korea, I was like, okay, I'm going to be Korean. I'm going to be a Korean in Korea. Um, Like, work just totally pulled me back to the States. Um, And it's kind of always been like that. where I make a choice and then something random happens that completely nullifies that choice. Um, so I think right now I've kind of accepted the fact that like no matter what I think I want, something like life is going to take me somewhere else. And um, I'm just going to let that happen and see where I end up. Yeah. Just ride the waves. <laughs> just riding now. the waves. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah, so that was the last question in the TCK questionnaire. And wow, I feel like we could talk for (laughs) hours and hours about this topic just because it's so endless. I I feel like I should have booked this studio for at least like three or four (laughs) hours. (laughs) Um, But yeah, before we wrap up, I did want to ask you. um, Oh, my God, it's already time. Yeah, I did want to ask you very briefly. Yeah. What sorts of projects are you working on that you can maybe share with us? Where can we see you next? Um, so I'm actually quite... I, I, I don't like talking about my film projects because I don't like talking about a film that it hasn't been shot. Mm. Like, there's no point in... T- I don't want to, like... The whole, like, distrust with language is... Mm. I just don't have a lot of faith in words. And um, I feel like when I try to describe a story, like a film, then I limit that film when it could be so, like when it could just be like this ambiguous thing that people experience, like I end up defining it and that narrows what the film is. Okay. Let, let's yes. not talk about yes. it then. Yes. So, um, <laughs> well, <laughs> then to wrap up, I, I did want to share this, uh, which is that uh, in preparing for this interview, a friend recommended me a book, mm-hmm. um, a Korean book, Ponyokanan Maum. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. you are in it. Yeah. As the Yongwa Tongyok Sai Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. the film interpreter. Yeah. But yeah, I was reading through it, and like I said, you're somebody who's really hard to track down. I know you don't give a lot of interviews, Mm -hmm. but there was a sentence in that book that made me realize why you had agreed to come on today. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm like 
paraphrasing and translating a bit here, but um, you talk about like being ambiguous mm-hmm. um, and like uh, ambiguity informs mm-hmm. a huge part of your identity. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're always looking to collaborate with others mm-hmm. who are also in this like in-betweenness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, in Korean, you, you call it ojunganam. And um, yeah, reading that, I was like, oh, this is why <laughs> <laughs> she said yes to coming on the show. Yeah. And I was you know, so happy when you said yes. And um, it was so fun talking with you today. No, yeah. Like, I mean, I'm always down to have a conversation. You yeah. know, like, I hate interviews because it feels like people just want to hear you talk about you. And that's kind of, like, the worst. <laughs> <laughs> um, but also just, like, you know, I, I've i been really enjoying your podcast. Oh, thank you. Um because it is quite like a lonely way <laughs> to navigate through life being like a TCK and kind of like feeling um, like settling down or finding roots is something that you have to do, not something that is given and just is there. And yeah, like like I mentioned, I've recently kind of realized just how um, important, or how influential, like, this identity has been to me. So, I don't know. I feel like I've rambled so much today. I don't even remember what I said. But no, it, <laughs> no, it, it was... was great talking about this and, like, trying to, like, articulate. It's hard. My I, my thoughts and my experience with this has been really interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've interviewed friends. I've interviewed you know, just people I've met for the first time. And I think all of us can agree that it's very difficult to talk about our identities yeah, yeah. and um, it's not something that we talk talk about or think about on a daily yeah. basis so yeah for me this sitting across from a guest and talking about it yeah. is always such a blessing yeah because it it's a, it's a sounding board you know yeah exactly it's yeah. like you're also processing like your own experiences exactly hearing mine and back and this like back and forth yeah and um during this back and forth like we create something or right. discover something yeah. in the middle yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, I think that's the beauty of it so. yeah and that's like the third culture right yeah yeah <laughs> so um yeah. yeah thank you for creating something in this space <laughs> between us <laughs> with me today well, thank you and um yeah thanks to our listeners for tuning in I'm gonna have to convince Sharon to come on again because I want to <laughs> keep talking to her um but uh, I look forward to seeing you on the next episode And uh, yeah, bye to our listeners. See you next time. Bye. Thank you. Bye.